So we're going to start a new sermon series today. Last, last month we worked on roots. So today we're going to um, start with one called Learning the Way. And we're going to do something that I enjoy a lot, and it's, we're going to be talking about Jesus a lot. I enjoy talking about Jesus. Um, I don't want to, <laughs> that sounds very, very churchy. Let's see if I can find out. <laughs> I enjoy talking about Jesus because I enjoy and enjoy learning about different ways that we see Jesus. I enjoy learning about new ways that different cultures, different people see Jesus. And especially among the statement that we're going to be looking at today and this next few weeks. So I'm going to start with reading the passage that we have for today. And it comes from John chapter 14, verses 1 to 11. It says, don't let this destroy you. Just trust God. Don't you? You trust God, don't you? Trust me. There is plenty of room for you in my father's home. If that, were not, if that weren't so, would I have told you I'm not on my way. I'm on my way to get room ready for you. And if I'm, not, if I'm on my way to get room ready, I'll come back and get you so you can live where I live. And you already know the road I'm making. Thomas said, Master, we have no idea where you're going. How do you expect us to know the road? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and also the life. No one gets to the Father apart from me. If you really knew me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him. You, you've even seen him. Philip said, Master, show us the Father. Then we'll be content. You've been with me all this time, Philip, and you still don't understand? To see me is to see the Father. So how can you ask, where is the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you aren't my words. I don't just make them up on my own. The Father who resides in me crafts each word into a divine act. Believe me, I am in my Father, and my Father is in me. If you can't believe that, believe what you see, this works. Believe me, I am in the Father, and my Father is in me. If you can't believe that, believe what you see. These words. Jesus is constantly pointing to when people ask him about who he is, directing them to what do you see. When John's disciples, when John the Baptist was in prison, they came to Jesus and said, Hey, so John sent us to ask you, Are you the one that we were expecting? And Jesus says, Go and tell him this. Tell them what you see. Those that cannot walk are walking, those that were sick are healed. Jesus is constantly directing to people to what he's doing and not arguing about, like, let me explain to you how theologically I became who I am. Because in the beginning, I was, no. Jesus is constantly saying, just look at what I'm doing. That should be enough of an answer for you. And this takes us, so we're going to be talking the whole month about the way, the truth, and the life. And by the way, this verse, the way it starts is, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. 
So in order to understand Jesus, we need to understand who he was. And this statement is going to be our main focus today and the next few weeks. But today, within this statement, we're going to focus on I am, who Jesus is. So before that, I want to share a couple of stories for you. So we were missionaries, me and my wife. I have shared about this a lot. And we adopted a daughter. One of our children is from China. So when we were doing the training from China... You hear a lot of things. It's a Christian organization, but one of the things that we heard uh, and during the training is this statement. We are so happy that Christian families are adopting kids from China because this may be the only opportunity that they have to hear about salvation. If they are not adopted by people that are Christians, they might go to hell. That was a shocking statement for a training for an organization that was training us into adoption. Also, we know a lot of people, and we, when we were in China, we were able to, uh, one of our uh, interpreters, she was a Christian. She was an open Christian. And we asked her, like, how, how is it that you are openly a Christian? And she said, well, our house of worship is right there around the corner. And we were shocked. Like, oh, we thought that you could not be a Christian in China. She said, well... You need to have permission in order to have your house of worship or um, to be able to live your faith. And that took me back to when, when we were doing the training to become missionaries and we were hearing about one of the biggest conflicts on people rejecting Jesus. And it was that people were not rejecting Jesus, but were rejecting the idea that we were bringing on who Jesus is. So there is this um, missionary called Taylor, Taylor James Hudson. He's one of the greatest missionaries in the history of the world. This man lived 51 years in China. So during his time, constant groups of people were going undercover to go and evangelize China, and they rejected the idea of Christianity. Until this guy realized something. What these people were rejecting was not the idea of Jesus. They were rejecting the westernized idea of Jesus. Because when they were preached about becoming followers of Jesus, that also include, there, are a lot, there is a lot of new traditions that you need to leave behind. There is a dress code that you have to have if you're a Christian. And a lot of that came, it was a cultural idea that didn't have a lot to do with Jesus. And during this training, we had a, a, a friend that was uh, from Mambia, and he was sharing how painful it was for him and his family where the British colonizers came. Because they say we have our way of worshiping Jesus. We have our, our drums and, and our dances. But then these people came and said, no, 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 this is from the devil. You need an organ. And you cannot dance. And you have to dress up. And then people start rejecting Jesus. What they were rejecting actually was the idea of Jesus. Because sometimes we, we think like we are preaching Jesus, but we are preaching an idea that we have of Jesus, a culturalized idea of who we have with Jesus. This guy, Taylor James Hudson, he started wearing traditional Chinese clothes. He started attending to traditional festivals. He started hanging with people and allowed 
um, through his organization, over 800 missionaries came to China. He was one of the few people that were allowed to preach the gospel because he was one of the few people that respected their culture. And because of that respect, they welcomed who Jesus was or the idea of Jesus. And all this come to say, like, we have this idea when we talk about Jesus, sometimes we do not say a lot about who he is. Or um, we bring like a sort of contaminated idea of who Jesus is. But we'll get there in a minute. This is, this is what Acts 9-2 says. All this time, Saul was breathing down the neck of the master disciples, out for the kill. He went to the chief priest and got arrest warrants to take to the meeting places in Damascus so that if he found anyone there belonging to the way, you remember that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Belonging to the way, whether men or women, he could arrest them and bring them to Jerusalem. So before followers of Jesus were known as Christians, they were known as followers of the way. They were introducing something. There was something in their way of life that created a mark on them as followers of the way. They were not known yet as Christians, but followers of the way. And this is a, a very important thing to remember. Because if Jesus, if people see us, will they recognize that we are followers of the way? Or they will recognize that we are a Christian group of people with a Christianized, with a different idea of who Jesus is. And many times when we hear these words, the truth, the way, on the life, this have marked, uh, this was one of Jesus' most bolded statements and we have, this has marked the way we preach Jesus. Because we go place to place with this idea that people need to hear from Jesus. If not, they, they will go to hell. This, this is the only way. Whatever you know, whatever your practices is wrong. Because Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And the way we read this is any other idea is wrong. Ours is the only one that is right. And this has created a lot of arrogance within Christian believers on the way they preach the gospel. Especially among missionaries. The, one of the main reasons uh, why my wife and I were accepted in Uruguay is because we started teaching classes uh, with people and, be, and befriending people. And they eventually realized that, that we were Christians. And they started attending to a church. Uh, we never pushed anything on them. We never tell them that whatever they were, Uruguay is one of the most atheist countries in the world, and it's the atheist country in South America. Um, but we, we decided, like, from the beginning, we are not going to prompt them with saying, like, hey, we're Christians. We're here to teach you how to live your life. Everything you were doing is wrong. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus is not the way, the truth, and the life. There is a uniqueness. There's something essential in Jesus. That if Jesus is not at the throne of your life, something else is in the throne of your life. The thing is, philosophies, political ideas, ideologies, they will take you probably to, to the, um, 
they will take you to the foothills of the mountain, but none of those ideas will take you uh, to the summit. Jesus is the only one who can take you there. So there is a uniqueness in Jesus. There is a truth and a reality, and this he's the way, the truth, and the life. But the interesting thing is that he... He never, he never says how, how or when or in what manner me- or the mechanism functions that gets people to God through him. He says, I'm the truth, the one in the life, but he never explains exactly how this happens. We have our own ideas of how this works. Might be a prayer, might be the way we live our life, might be the way we think. But the thing is, Jesus at any point said, so these are the steps. Step one, you need to do this. Step two, you need to do that. He said, I'm the truth, the way, and the life. But he never says at any point how or when or in what matter that takes place. He simply claimed that whatever God is doing in the world to know and redeem and love and restore the world is happening through him. That's what Jesus is saying. Whatever God is doing happens through him. And we're going to be talking about this the salvation, in the next few weeks. There is one thing that I want to focus about today, and it's Jesus. This might be basic Christianity 101 for most of you, but it will set up uh, the weeks to come. What do we talk when we talk about Jesus? And, and I haven't done it here. Well, mostly I didn't think about it because the idea is that we cannot scream, we can sing, uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump the step. But in, several, in every church that I am, one of the questions that I like to ask is, who is Jesus to you? And the main questions that are here is, well, he's my Savior, well, he's my Lord, he's the Redeemer. So the question, when we talk about Jesus, are we referring to a total tribal membership, domesticated Jesus who waves a flag and promotes whatever value we decide that our nation needs? Are we referring to an imperial impulse of a group that conquers other people in the name of Jesus? Are we referring to a Jesus that is a slogan for a political party or economical system or military? Or are we referring to the source of the universe who has walked among us and continues to sustain everything with his love and power and grace and energy? When you talk to people about Jesus... What do you talk about? What is your focus? Because we like the idea, like, we want to talk to you about Jesus to talk to you about salvation. So the thing is, salvation is to Jesus as a rose is to, to a flower. So salvation is Jesus, but it's not that Jesus is. Jesus is way more than that. A rose is a flower, but when you say flower, it has way more meaning than just that. So we're going to talk about who Jesus is. And this is what he says about himself. Believe me, says Jesus. I am who I am long before Abraham was anything. Jesus says, I am who I am way before Abraham was anything. So Jesus says, I am. And I'm pretty sure some of you already make the connection. Who? Who else said, I am, or I am who I am? 
And that comes, we get that from God and Moses in Exodus. God says to Moses, I am who I am. Tell the people of Israel, I am has sent me. Now, hopefully, I'm going to say something that you don't know, and this gets me really excited. I am who I am. If you translate, it from, translate that from the original name, language, it means I am what I will be, or I am whom I will be. So if you translate that, um, literally create a translation from that Bible verse in Exodus, so we, and, and most of our Bibles states, I am who I am, faithful to the tradition that we've been hearing, but the literal translation is I will be what I will be, or I am whom I will be. I will be whom I will be. What, what does this mean? It means that my nature will become evident for my actions. So have anybody ever asked you if Jesus ever said that he was God? At any point in scripture, Jesus says, by the way, I'm God. At any point, and this is the way that God reveals himself, God's self to Abraham, and this is what Jesus, the same words that Jesus chooses is that I, I am, I will be who I will be. Jesus is saying the same thing. My actions will, um, my nature will be evident through my action. So if God's nature was revealed by, God in, uh, by God's action in Exodus, what do Jesus' actions tell us about Jesus' nature? You see where I'm going here? Again, this is 101. I'm not saying anything different that you haven't heard before. What I'm trying to put is, Jesus at the center of everything that we're going to be talking for this next month. And for that, we need to have a broader idea of how Jesus, who Jesus is. Who was Jesus for the people around him? So remember those words that I said before. What do Jesus' actions tell us about Jesus' nature? And who was Jesus for the people around him? Luke 11 says, The Pharisees said that the only way that Jesus can drive out demons is that if he is in league with the devil. So the Pharisees thought that Jesus was somebody that was with the devil. In Mark 3, Jesus' family Jesus' family, family, Jesus family members come to get him because they think he's out of his mind. So for his family, he was a little bit crazy. In Matthew 16, when Jesus asked his disciples who, he's, who, they, who people say he is, they tell him, someone say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or some of the prophets. Even in Jesus' times, people, the Jesus' followers were not entirely sure who he was. They did not know how to talk about him. And that's the main reason why I want us to just get the idea of who Jesus is. Before we move like he's the way, the truth, and the life, we need to figure out who this I am really is to us. Because the big mistake that we make when we think about Jesus is either he's a magic word in a prayer when we say in Jesus' name, 
or he's our ticket to heaven. So we tend to reduce Jesus' person to something that is a means to an end. And in order to understand how is he the way, how is he the truth, how is he the life, first we have to figure it out who Jesus was. And the problem is, so scripture does tell us about a group of people or beings that knew who Jesus was. This is the first one. And look for a man was possessed by an evil spirit and yells at Jesus, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So an evil spirit knew who Jesus was. Then in Matthew 8, he arrives to the shore of the region of the Gadarenes, and a demon-possessed man shouts, What do you want with us, Son of God? And even in Mark 1, Jesus asked demons not to speak because they knew who he was. So his families, the Pharisees, even his disciples did not know how to speak about Jesus. Yet, the evil spirits didn't know who Jesus was. So there is a limit to our understanding of who Jesus is, whether we like it or not. There is a limit, and, and, and that limit on how do we, we see Jesus limits our relationship with Jesus. Limits our idea of who Jesus is, and limits the way that we introduce Jesus. Because if we introduce a Jesus that is influenced by our culture, we are taking a lot away of who he is. Jesus was somebody that wept at the tomb of his friends. Jesus washed, washed his followers' feet. Jesus used power to serve rather than to be served. So this is one of the first ideas of who Jesus was. He was somebody that felt. He was somebody that loved. And he was somebody that showed us that there are different ways of live your life. Somebody, and especially because of that end, Jesus used power to serve rather than to be served, should tell us what kind of person Jesus was. And it gets more impressive once we realize who Jesus really is. Once we realize who Jesus really is and how he acted, it makes it something that is impossible to be able to explain. Because once we get this idea, only when Jesus' followers continue doing what he did, people will believe when they speak the air-shattering truth that he spoke. The biggest problem with evangelization is not that people don't want to accept Jesus. It might be that those who are doing the work of evangelization are not living like Jesus lived. There is this joke, I don't know if it's true or not, that this person that was constantly preaching to a neighbor, and then the neighbor finally says, so if I go to heaven, will I see people like you? And the neighbor says, yes. And then I'm like, and the neighbor says, well, I don't want to go there then. So sometimes what we represent is a wrong image of Jesus. And it's only when the church recovers the nerve to follow Jesus in his own mission and vocation, the church will be able to recover the nerve fully in making the claim that Jesus is the way, the truth, in the life. It's only when we go back to follow Jesus in the way Jesus called us to follow him that we can really claim these words. Jesus, by his actions, we can recognize Jesus' nature. Jesus never said that he was God, but we don't know 
for Jesus to say that he was God, for us to know that he was, that he is God. Because Jesus created, according to John 1. He showed providence in Luke 10. He forgave sins in Matthew 9. He resurrected people and judged people in Matthew 9 and Mark 2. These attributes, this ability to do these things, only come from God. The only living being that can do something like that is God. And by Jesus doing these things, he's, we are, we're knowing, we're learning that he is God. By Jesus' actions, we will know Jesus' nature. So when you think about Jesus, when you talk about Jesus, don't talk about salvation. Talk about God. Because we cannot reduce Jesus to just one of those attributes because it leads us into the wrong direction. Jesus never forced his way, forced his way on us. Never imposed the idea of Christianity. He never said um, to people like, you're with me or you're going to die. Jesus loved people. Jesus walked with people. Jesus suffered with people. And as we saw, Jesus wept for people. Jesus served people. So when you think this idea of this great God that can do all these things, and yet he cries with you. And it's such an incredible God that even loves you so much that died for you. By Jesus' actions, we will know Jesus' nature. So Jesus is God. Jesus is the way. Jesus' disciples in Act 9 were known as followers of the way. They were living in such, they were living in such a lifestyle that people recognized them as disciples of that guy that was there before who did wonders among people. So if Jesus is God, he's not a means to an end for us, but Jesus is the everything. Jesus is the end. And we're called, we're called to follow Jesus' footsteps. Are we being faithful to that calling? When we think about Jesus, do we ambition God or we ambition somebody that died? So, and we have this image of, of the... Of the of a cross being like a bridge, is he just that to us? It's a means to an end. Or is a God that is calling us to follow, a God that is calling us to recover the nerve that his disciples had and live like he did and love like he loved and die like he died? So we're going to learn that way these next few weeks. So the idea that you need to take home with you today is that simple. You knew this before you came, that Jesus is God. Then when you talk about Jesus, talk about God. Then when you leave, live your life emulating God. So I invite you today you're going to find bread and you're going to find juice in your table and we're going to celebrate communion. We're going to remember that last evening of Jesus with his friends. That evening 
where they were all hanging together with this person that they were not exactly sure who he was. But Jesus did know who he was and still was eating with them as friends. We're going to remember that moment when everybody was oblivious of what was happening, but Jesus was fulfilling a promise. Jesus became that loving God that rejected everything, that rejected the privilege of who God was to become human and die for us. So let me pray and pray with me. Amazing God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for the wonders that you did in Exodus. When you call upon your people and you say to Moses, I will be whom I will be. I will be what I will be. Moses, Israel, my actions will show you my nature. We give you thanks, God, because you were able to summon your creation. You were able to show Pharaoh that there is a God greater than who he was. You were able to show Israel that you were with them. You made a way through the sea. You fed them in the desert. You brought them to the promised land. You were with them all night long like a shining fire during the night and like a cloud in the day. People can see you. People were able to see and declare that you are God. And we give you thanks, Jesus, because you came as a humble servant. Being God, you walk among us. And you serve in a way that only a God can serve. Because, Jesus, you are more aware than us that we have the hard time serving and loving in the same way you did. So friends, in the night that he was going to be betrayed, he was having dinner with his disciples. I invite you to take um, somebody from your table to take the bread. In the night that he was going to be betrayed, he took the bread, lifted it up, and blessed it. And said, this is my body that will be broken for you. And then, when dinner was over, he took the cup he lifted it up and blessed, this is my blood that will be used for the healing of the nations. I invite you, before you partake of this bread and this cup, to recognize something simple. is that Jesus already did it all for us. That Jesus already invited us to something bigger. And the, with that tranquility of being known and accepting that we're daughters and sons of God, we can repeat the prayer that Jesus taught us. So I invite you to say it with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, will be the name. the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. God bless this cup and bless this bread that we can be reminded today that you are God. That you were crucified and tortured and you came back to life. That your nature is a godly nature and that we are called to follow you. 
So take a piece of bread, each one of you. Brothers and sisters, this is the body of Christ that was broken for you. And take the cup. You can add a deep, or you have the small one. This is the blood of Christ that was shed for you. So we give you thanks, God, for all your wonders and for your blessings. That we can leave this place knowing that you are God and that we can walk away knowing that if our great almighty God live a life loving, serving, we can do the same thing. In Jesus' name, I pray.